0: what it's the 50th episode of animation celery crunchiest conversations about classic cartoons sometimes even the wisest men and machines can be in error
1: i'm micah one host i'm the other host never in error matzy and this is animation celery as previously mentioned the show where we two give each other cartoons to watch and then come back and talk about them And this week we're doing our favorite thing, which is animated shorts. I gave Micah a Foghorn Leghorn thing called Plop Goes the Weasel and Dixieland Droopy, which is a cartoon about Droopy. And he gave me a weird little Audrey cartoon called Tarts and Flowers. I always want to say Tarts and Mines. (laughs) And, And an old Betty Boop cartoon called Betty Boop and Grampy. Fun times. Mm-hmm. So first, before we talk about those, we got to make sure that we catch up on what we've been doing over the last week. So tell me, Micah, what's been going on?
0: Okay. Well, I have a bunch of discoveries. Um, uh-huh. First of all, well, if anybody watched or listened to the last episode, I uh, tried to sabotage our uh, viewer or listener engagement by talking about a French movie called Kirikou and the Sorceress. <laughs> um so let's talk about Kirikou some more. Did you know? Oh. Did you know there are Kirikou video games?
1: I did, actually. Isn't that That bonkers? came up in my
0: research. Yeah. So there's a two and a half D gameplay video game. It's like uh, Kulanoa or Retro Studios mm. Donkey Kong Country games. Man. So, yeah, it's, it's two dimensional, but you're uh, weaving in and out or curving around things. And yeah, you play the little naked infant, Kiriko. <laughs> you know, that would
1: make a good runner on an iPhone. Just like, Yeah. He's just along and you like tap the button to jump. <laughs> Did you watch any of the gameplay? No. When he
0: does run, he does make the sound. <laughs> um, so uh, it's got music and voice acting from the movie, but mm-hmm. the, the music is actually kind of sparse. Um, it doesn't yeah. look like a great game. Uh, it's uh, The one is for uh, the PlayStation, and I think there's a Game Boy Advance one as well. Um, sure. <clears throat> anyway, you you battle and jump off of fetishes, uh, as yep. in little robot guys that the Sorcerer's controls. Right. Um, you trampoline off of drums. Uh, mm. <laughs> this is sounding pretty standard, eh? Um, yeah. And you collect water. So there's like water droplets or uh greater quantities of water in the bowl that he bathes in at the beginning. Okay, sure. Um you can upgrade from bare-handed attacks to to a stick to various knives.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Um you can hide under the village elder's hat or <laughs> or, or you can hang it over your head to glide. <laughs> <laughs> He and you know he never shows it in the movie, but Kiriku apparently has a double jump as well. Well, yeah, double um, jump, huh? That's a kind of a late era video game mechanic. Yeah, maybe for the for the PlayStation. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, there's times where you encounter his grandfather, like he's just floating, and you touch him for a cutscene. Right. You know the cutscene is like. the toucan going Kiriku, and then the father giving you some advice, the grandfather giving you some advice. (laughs) But I think they screwed up. I think you should have been collecting his toucans so that at the end, you see like the line of toucans and you see the ones you're missing so that you have to, (laughs) yeah, you have to collect them all to
1: 100% Kiriku. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like the flowers in uh, Yoshi's Island.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. anyway uh yeah so huh, i watched a little bit of playthrough of that eh, it's okay i guess i do it's probably yeah, well, more fun I'll, to play than watch
1: i'll look forward to that at summer games done quick <laughs> right
0: uh let's see what else is in the news oh um there's you know magic the gathering has secret layers. um so they, they um they, they publish cards that are themed around other stuff so they had like a The Walking Dead secret lair. Oh. So they had legendary uh, creatures from The Walking Dead. You have like right. Daryl and whoever, right? Um. Mm. So this has been like divisive amongst Magic players, where they just think like, "Oh, what is this game doing now?" Yeah. And they're fur- see that. Yeah, they're further upset that the new set has gone anime. The new uh, <laughs> Kamigawa set. Um. Oh, they've gone back to Kamigawa. Yes, and it's I futuristic. I why they... Futuristic? I think so, or at least kind of. It's all huh. like there's neon elements in it. Maybe it's magic neon. Hmm. Um, but it, it like it, it embodies uh, modern Japanese cities more. Hmm. Um, yeah, and, and the art style in a lot of the cards is very anime, so it's really upset a lot of people. <laughs>
1: I could see that. I could see that being upsetting. Um, I mean, well, the original concept of Magic was that it was a multiverse. I mean, the first expansion was the Arabian Nights. Right. Like the idea was that they were going to draw from all kinds of different places. So, on the one hand, this is kind of like the fulfillment of the promise that they made in 1993. But on the other hand, it's not what the game has been since 1993.
0: Yeah, but, you know, like, for a while, the art and magic got so monolithic, you know, where they, yeah. they, they had an edict that all that it all had to look like painterly stuff. So, yeah. And, you know, largely very similar artwork. And not only that, that it infected tabletop games outward, right, to where it's mm-hmm, just what mm-hmm. everybody expected in them. And so, you know, I'm glad yeah. that the uh, one of the worst offenders is trying different things, Um yeah,
1: Phil Foglio and Quentin Hoover have no place
0: in magic anymore. Ha, Quentin Hoover is one of my uh, friends' favorites. Anyway, um, yeah, so the most recent secret lair, these kind of, like, uh, <laughs> these strange departures into other properties is uh-huh. for uh, Street Fighter. Um,
1: oh, I was terrified that you were going to say Rick and Morty.
0: <laughs> it probably exists, I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> uh They probably could have called it Street Fighter 2 because they've, um, I guess they've gone for the widest appeal, uh, which is to say old players. (laughs) So it's all the original uh, eight world warriors. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So what they've done, they're, I I think they're all legendary creatures and it'll be like name, comma, uh, adjective. So like Ryu, the world warrior. (laughs) <laughs> e Honda, comma sumo champion, right?
1: <laughs>
0: um and I think this does a couple things. Uh one, if they ever felt like making another Street Fighter secret lair, they could just have, you know, uh, Ryu, comma, dark Hado or whatever, right? They could, <laughs> so they, they could have they could make different cards, but also I guess the cards they did make, they didn't feel like they had to represent every aspect of the character. <laughs> they probably yeah. you know more than street fighter they probably tend to do that for a lot of different properties but um hmm. anyway um one of the things i've noticed in these secret lairs is that i don't i don't think i have to describe magic the gathering right our our listenership is old enough that almost everyone's played a game of magic the gathering probably
1: it's it's, it's a it's a collectible card game the not quite the original trading card game but the one that kind of set off the boom that it's the reason right. why there's Pokemon and everything and it's it's a game about there's five colors and you summon creatures and it's it's like the original Hearthstone. Maybe that will right. get all the young viewers. <laughs> yeah. Um
0: so I find what happens in these is that black mana is uh underrepresented mm. and white is overrepresented because it's just like these are all heroes, they're white, I guess. <laughs> um so Zengeef is three colors and one of them is black, and it fits with his with his effect, where he makes you sacrifice permanence. But okay. uh, it's also part of a thing that bugs me, that Zangief gets represented as a villain, when he's actually mm. one of the more noble characters. Mm. And, furthermore, Ryu really should be black. He's, he's mono-white. He's executed, actually, kind of boringly.
1: Hmm, hmm.
0: But his his main characteristic is that he's constantly battling that his martial art wants him to murder people. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Um. Hmm. But they they did execute some things in really cute ways. Um, for example, Guiles colors are red, white, and blue. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay. And execution wise, I thought this was really cute. So uh again, for people who don't really know magic, um, you have lands from which you draw the resources you need to play cards. Um, So cards have a cost, you know, like uh, tapping a couple mountains to play this card, right? Um, Yeah. Okay, so some cards have ability called kicker, where you pay an additional cost for some benefit when when you cast the card. And there's another... Uh, variant of that called multi kicker where you can pay that cost multiple times to get multiple benefits.
1: <laughs>
0: it's really cute that Chun-Li has multi kicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. She actually, I think when I look at the, might be the one card you might build around. Well, maybe Ken too, but uh, her, her multi kicker is a white or blue mana and you exile a card from your graveyard. And then every time that she attacks, you can play a copy of that card. You can you can cast it. I assume you have to pay the mana for it, but you can build around her anyway. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um it's kind of a this is kind of a perfect marriage. Like people that think that are upset because this kind of like ruins Magic the Gathering's integrity to have all these other properties in it. <laughs> and Street Fighters the same way where like, I don't care. Download Ryu for Fortnite, okay? You
1: know? <laughs> yeah.
0: So um but I, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, the third note I have here is uh, I, I was watching Saber Spark and apparently Arthur, the cartoon, is ending. Yeah, I heard yeah. this. Had, yeah. They did like a big time skip. So it's one of those things where it's like a cartoon that people have actually watched for decades. And so they time skipped ahead so that the. Arthur and all the the children from the show are the age of their their viewership, like they've (laughs) grown up with them. So Arthur's (laughs) an adult now. Um, Yeah. Now, this is from an era where I kind of abandoned cartoons. (laughs) Sure, yeah. It seemed like every cartoon was like this, right? Like Arthur, Doug, Recess. Yeah, yeah. The irony is that uh, these days I really like to watch slice of life things. Mm-hmm. But back then I was like, oh, more, more, you know, uh, childhood drama and no ambition to the look. I mean, on a scale that would drop off the map, like with, with uh, recess and then, hey, Arnold. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No ambition at all. Um, anyway. So it's, it's, I was thinking, okay, if, if you didn't know that Arthur was an aardvark, what did you, what would you think he is?
1: It's impossible to say. Like he, like a, a wombat or some, <laughs> like, uh, what's that, um, capybara? He really oh. looks like a capybara, actually. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. That's a good pick. Yeah. I, I always thought mouse when I first saw him. Mm, ears aren't big enough. No, I guess not. Um... And actually, the original book for Arthur, he's got like a long aardvark snout. <laughs> and I guess they just figured that's unpalatable, so they shrunk it right back. Man, there's a lot of aardvarks in cartoons.
1: especially um, the same no. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, we need an animal. Open the dictionary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know the um, the comic Cerebus the Aardvark? Uh I don't think so. I was really big into it. Um, and I was looking at it recently. I mean, it's, it's got the same parallel where, uh, okay, it's like a Conan the Barbarian parody at first. Okay. And the first comics, he's got a really long nose. And then I guess it's just, you know, not that appealing. So just like Arthur, it shrunk back and back. And the final design for him honestly looks more like Miss Piggy. Um <laughs> that's a weird comic. Cause I was looking at it again, just just uh, on a whim, and that comic becomes really gorgeous. It's got like mm. a um, a sort of classic lithograph crosshatching kind of look to it, and uh, okay, yeah, and it's interesting. But unfortunately, the creator of it went kind of nuts <laughs> <laughs> to the point where like he he was a champion of. Um, of uh, self publishing not just in Canada but just in general um, all right but uh, then he just like he, he had a, a big readership like as a self- publisher at one point it was seventeen thousand I think it was pretty good and uh, but then he started saying things like that you know every every comic he makes is a hate crime against women. <laughs> he just <What>? went nuts <laughs> and unfortunately it tarnished the 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 end result of it all. But anyway, uh,
1: um, yeah, like yeah, kind of weird, isn't it? I was... um, y- yes. If you're asking yes. me if that <laughs> if that statement <laughs> is weird, the I
0: would say that it is. Yeah, yeah. I actually, found out he, he has a YouTube channel and he he draws again. He he has like an an illness or injury that prevented him from drawing for a long while. But you know, well, I would I would my, wouldn't mind looking at it, and <laughs> despite the 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 weirdness of the later uh storylines anyway i was talking about arthur but but i guess i guess the point is i don't really have
1: a lot to say about arthur (laughs) um well you know it's a cartoon that's been around for like 25 years so let's raise a glass to the end of arthur i guess yeah um
0: anyway that's that's my uh my screed this week what do you got Matsy?
1: Not a lot. Um, Sabers. you mentioning Saber Spark reminded me, I saw a video, I actually didn't watch the video, I meant to, but I just saw the um, the thumbnail of it, which was, the thumbnail was a clip of the characters from the Cuphead show. Yeah. With the slogan, y'all need to chill. <laughs> and, and it was like, the title was something like, the unrealistic expectations of the Cuphead show and why it's actually good. I watched it.
0: Yeah. His, his uh, video, that is.
1: Does he make a compelling argument?
0: Um, well, actually, I, I commented on his video, actually, too. Uh, the Well, one thing he fixates on is people's problem with it not being animated on ones. And my thing is, mm-hmm. it's not so much that it's not animated on ones. It's that it doesn't embody the old style and, like... In, Mm -hmm. in, you can still reflect rubber hose by animating in twos or whatever. Right. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. my expectations for the Cuphead show were that I wanted it to do as good a job as the video game at looking like an old cartoon. Right. And I wanted it to be funny or (laughs) interesting. Yeah. And it accomplished none of those goals, and I don't think those expectations were real unrealistic. So yeah, bleh. So I don't know, Saber Spark. I know you have a million times, literally a million times the viewership that we do, but I disagree. Um, I've just been kind of working nonstop over the last two weeks, so I haven't really. My my cartoon viewing has been kind of comfort food stuff. Like mm-hmm. I mean it's weird to say that it's comfort food, but like I can take ten minutes here and there to watch a Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've I've mentioned it on the show before, but it's worth repeating. Like in my adulthood I really I've come to appreciate how smart that show is in its stupidity. There's something um,
0: that's kind of appealing too about its cheapness. Yeah. You know, it's weird audio and (laughs) even like... Or... Yeah.
1: Just just like a a simple... Like, I think about the simple concepts. Like, you know, what would Beavis and Butthead do if blank? You know, like, what would Beavis and Butthead do if there were people protesting outside the school who didn't want the school to teach evolution? Ah, okay. Okay. And what would Beavis and Butthead do if, like... Oh, just a really good day. What's a really good day for Beavis and Butthead? Mm. You know, simple things like that. That's fun. Um, So I was watching some of that. The other thing that I kind of dipped into is a show that I, I watch like one or two episodes every now and then. Okay. And and and, you know, there's enough of it that I could go a long time that way, just doing it every few months. Uh, which is an old piece of anime called The Laughing Salesman. Oh, okay. This is a uh, it's a, it's based on a manga, as most anime are, and it's about a a salesman. I can't remember his name. Maybe you do. Maybe I don't. Not. I, I've never watched it. Oh. OK, well, yeah, it's it's basically this guy who's got this huge grin. Mm. And the concept of the show is that every episode there will be this character who is unhappy in some way, even if they don't realize it. Mm. Um, and the, there's always the same kind of um, setup that the salesman gives at the beginning. Um, where he is in the business of souls and he fills the empty places in people's hearts, free of charge, I might add. And usually the way it works is that there's a condition to what he gives the people and the people will inevitably break that condition and some kind of tragedy will befall them. Mm. Um. Just recently, I watched what I believe is the first episode. And it was this guy who is so handsome. (laughs) This is a weird concept, but he's so handsome that everyone fawns all over him and thinks that he's like really reliable. Okay. Like he's, you know, he has to drink a whole bunch to put up the appearance that he's unflappable. And, uh, you know, he has a, his mother and his wife and his child and his coworkers all look up to him. Mm -hmm. But actually he's tired of everyone relying on him for everything. And he gets drunk one night and the salesman is like, oh, I can arrange for some you to meet someone who will, uh, you know, fill that empty space. And the guy's like, oh, whatever. And he he brushes it off. And then finally, in his drunken stupor, he, you know, again, from over drinking to keep up the appearances, um, he follows the address, which leads to some. In his drunken view, it leads to some Buddha-like goddess who is going to take care of him. And then it kind of, it it kind of blasts away from that. Because it always, there's always this, this shot of the salesman pointing and laughing. (laughs) And it like flashes all these weird colors. And then it goes to the, this, uh, the salesman. In a taxi with the wife and child, it was mm-hmm. like bringing them to where his their husband is. Yeah, and they open the door to this apartment, and he is just naked in the lap of this huge, fat, naked woman, mm. um, breastfeeding from her <laughs> while she coddles him like a baby. Okay, and that's his fate. Huh. There's, and it's always something weird like that. Like there was one where there was this guy who was in love with the model in a, um, a billboard ad and the salesman Mm. arranged to meet her. But the condition was like, don't ask me to meet her again or something. And, and he eventually does. And he ends up getting, he wants to be with her, this lady forever. And so the salesman turns him into a character on the billboard. Huh, okay. You know, it's he's always Twilight, a tragic. He, yeah, he's the Twilight Zone, kind of. Yes. Yeah. 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 A, the one that was kind of funny was this, um, it was this old man who was a real prude and mm-hmm. he hated people showing public affection and he hated the fact that the girls that lives next door to him would hang their underwear to dry and he had to look at it. Yeah. He's like, ah, ah. Nah. And what eventually (laughs) happened was the salesman gave him a bunch of tools that he could use to be a total pervert. Oh. And and he just embraced it where he's like setting a trap and he's like got this like these binoculars so he can look at the girls as they bend over or whatever. And he's getting mad at guys for getting into the trap or just bizarre. Like you said, Twilight Zone stuff. He was repressed this whole time. I guess. I don't Mm. know. Or maybe it just turns you into what you don't want to be. I don't know. Or maybe it... Yeah. Yeah. Hmm?
0: It's like narratively interesting, but a hard sell because of the look of the salesman. (laughs) Yes. He's got some real howdy-doody
1: energy. Oh, he's... yeah. It's a gigantic toothy smile. It's... Look it up, the laughing salesman, and you'll see it. Hmm. So, yeah, kind of dry for me this week. Um... But I don't know. Maybe I can shower myself in weasel drool. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Excellent transition.
0: You are the master. So, uh, I'm looking at a Foghorn Leghorn cartoon called "Plop Goes the Weasel." It's directed by Robert McKimson in 1953. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Foghorn Leghorn is a tremendous rooster. In Looney Tunes and Merry Melody shorts, he has an overly large personality to match uh, his size, blustering loudly and nonstop, didactic, bombastic, loquacious, and rude. His <laughs> Southern mannerisms apparently are modeled after the fictional radio character named Senator Claghorn. <laughs> um, so, a typical Foghorn Leghorn cartoon perpetuates his rivalry. With the barnyard dog named Barnyard Dog. Right. You know, I didn't know what this dog's name was for all these years. Well, he's never really given a name. Like like Foghorn always just calls him dog. Apparently, his actual name. Yeah. And here's the thing. His name is D-A-W-G. Like yeah. nah mean dog. Or so, like dog. Like like, yeah. like Foghorn. Dog! Yeah, I dog. said dog! Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, though the, pa- the Basset Hound is his protector, Foghorn likes to antagonize, abuse, and humiliate him. But the Hound can give it back just as good as he gets it. And often, there's a third party that'll enter, and Foghorn will bamboozle him with his gift of gab until Dog flips the allegiance and ultimately gets the better of Foghorn. <laughs>
1: That's a pretty good summary of Foghorn Leghorn.
0: Yeah, that's usually the way they go. Um, so at the beginning of this cartoon, there's a wanted sign at the farm that warns us about a weasel, parenthesis, chicken thief.
1: I like that weasel, like specifically the one on that warning sign. Oh, yes. (laughs) Like his look is like, like this sly, like smile.
0: (laughs) It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so taking the threat seriously, Barnyard Dog marches like a soldier back and forth by the chicken coop fence. And Foghorn observes and mocks the serious guardian. Then he undermines the safety of the little chicks by lifting the wire mesh so that they can run free, making Dog desperately chase and collect them. And once he's gathered them up, he takes them to the gate, but he absentmindedly hands them off to the weasel. Uh, He quickly realizes his his error and takes the baby bird's back and punts the weasel. Foghorn Leghorn further endangers a chick by letting it out a knot hole in the wooden fence. Once Dog has saved this chick from the weasel and returned it through the knot hole, Foghorn unwisely sets up the problem of he himself being on the outside of the fence. It allows his arch enemy slash protector to put him back right through the undersized knot hole. He takes a pull and really pounds him in the butt, to force the oversized rooster through the undersized aperture, a big pile of his of his feathers stripping off in the process, and he says, Brr, "Somebody, I say, somebody, close the door! I feel a draft." When I, I expect, fought. yes, you're gonna say oh. it. <laughs> you'll <you're>, go ahead.
1: <laughs> we had the same I,
0: thought. Yeah, yeah. I expected his catchphrase. I keep, I say, I keep my feathers numbered for just such an emergency.
1: Fortunately, I keep my feathers yeah. numbered for, for just such an emergency. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> I guess it wasn't a thing yet, or um, it's just not in this one. Yeah. <laughs> so what um, a te- what a tedious that like 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 that solves everything. Like he's got go to go onto his neck like one, two, three. I say three. <laughs> like he's got a million feathers. <laughs> well,
0: as a compulsive, I can imagine some kind of joy in it. But uh, anyway. Uh-huh. Um, so later the blowhard rooster gets the weasel's attention and promises to deliver him a big Rhode Island red rooster. No, a a Red Island road. Oh, did I, I I reversed it, didn't I? Rhode Island
1: You, you said it correctly.
0: Correctly. Oh, and he said, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he breaks a barrel of syrup over dog's head. And then rips a pillow so that it's feathery filling drops onto his sticky surface. And the final piece of the ruse is a red rubber glove stretched on his head like a rooster's comb. The weasel answers the ring of a dinner bell and carries off dog, pulling his leg into his burrow. And there he painfully strips his shin of feathers and fur alike. He stops the abuse and reasons with the weasel that he's a dog, not a chicken. And he outlines a plan to get F Leghorn with a mallet and a piece of chalk.
1: F Leghorn. (laughs)
0: Like E Honda. Um, (laughs) So the clever plan involves dog flipping Foghorn on a spinning fence plank and the weasel clobbering him with the mallet. Uh, Concussed and swaying, Foghorn defends himself against accusation of being drunk by walking the chalk outline, or chalk line rather, made on the ground. It leads to the weasel's lair, and his leg falls into the hole. The weasel, wearing a chef hat and an apron, starts cooking his foot over a fire. Foghorn leaps in pain, but repeatedly lands with his foot back in the hole on the griddle. And Barnyard Dog fakes us out when he says he can't bear to listen. It's not a crisis of conscience, he just puts on earmuffs so he won't hear it.
1: <laughs> and that made me think about what Foghorn's fate in this is. Does yeah. he just does he eventually get away or does he get his foot eaten? Right. I you don't ever know. had
0: a, You ever had a chicken's foot? No. People always say like the various weird parts of the chicken that get eaten like, "Oh, I could never chicken's foot." But when you think about it, eating a chicken's chest is no less weird than eating its foot, right? It's just that
1: you can't recognize it as well. I, I, I guess when you put it that way, it's just like if we assume that chicken as meat is just yeah. muscle, it would be the same flesh just on the foot. I've
0: never done it. But I imagine it's kind of snacky, you know, yeah. like you just yeah. kind of peck around anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or like an even weirder fate that's like purgatory that he's just trapped in that cycle of flipping and his foot landing in there over and over again. <laughs> kind of weird. Um, Sisyphusian. Yes. <laughs> um, so just like not knowing the dog's name, I didn't know that the weasel's name is Willie. Oh, I didn't know that until this moment. I saw another one that called him Bill, which is the same thing, really. Yeah. Um. And there's like a video game for Willie the weasel, so your search <laughs> results will kind of get... Uh, deluded by that. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's a re- just a really weird coincidence that I was talking with people at work about Willy Weasel, or at least the the uh, the Foghorn Leghorn Weasel that licks his lips. and uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, the scale something... is... Re- oh, go ahead, go, ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say there's something that I didn't know about Foghorn Leghorn, which what is that? I didn't realize that all Foghorn Leghorn cartoons are directed by uh, Ron McKimson. Robert? Yeah. Robert. Robert McKimson.
0: Yeah. Well, man, I was going to say, this is definitely a Robert McKimson cartoon. Yes, mm. all all 29 Golden Age Foghorns are directed by him.
1: I also didn't... That led me to discover something else that I never put together. What's that? Which is that all cartoons involving Yosemite Sam are Friz Freeling.
0: Yeah. um, They... I was thinking, you could say this of both of them, really. I was thinking that uh, Robert McKimson is sort of like a Hanna Barbera director for Warner Brothers. Mm. You know, like we've looked at um, uh, like Chuck Jones, for example, that he's always seems to be constrained by the uh, cartoons and is wanting to try different things. Hmm. Whereas you know, like Hanna Barbera cartoons are just like, um, what Stagglepuss going to do in this one again? You know, they're they're all kind of yeah. the same. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Robert McKimson cartoons, he, he finds a rut and he gets
1: into it. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, <laughs> you know what you're getting from Foghorn yes. Leghorn, as you alluded to earlier. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, he's such a funny character that you're willing oh, yeah. to get whatever you can get.
0: Well, that being the case, they're saying that he, when you think of Looney Tunes, you're probably thinking of Robert McKimson a lot of the time just because of the volume. And Mm. because those other directors are doing oddball things, you know, Hmm. whereas he's just giving you, yeah, more Foghorn, you know, more of what you're expecting. Right. Um, And even though I'm saying that Foghorn is a little repetitive and shallow, it's curiously got a really expansive recurring cast. (laughs) Yeah. Like built the world of Foghorn. Or should I
1: say, yes. Yes. There's
0: Prissy, (laughs) uh, the old Bitty Hen. Yeah. There's Egghead Jr., Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Hawk, the chicken yep. hawk. Yeah, and the chicken weasel. hawk. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually pretty big. I you know, I don't I don't hate Foghorn Leghorn. Um no. he's not the one I look forward to. But I'll say I'll say I'll say one thing <laughs> that's kind of um uh about Foghorn, as a kid, I was never rooting for the dog. Because, <laughs> you know, Foghorn's got so much more personality to him. Yeah. To the point, to the point where we none of us knew what the dog's name was. Um, the scale is funky. That he's the biggest Looney Tune. He's a giant rooster. Yeah, like I wondered if these worlds are supposed to be discrete, because we get instances where you see all these guys together, right? But in terms of like the classic cartoons, Daffy Duck appears in a Foghorn legger like but most mostly they just stick to themselves, right? Yeah. So it's weird when you think of a world where. This rooster is at least twice the mass of uh, Elmer Fudd, a human being.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah, Fo- Foghorn, he's one of the, you know, he's, he's kind of a, he's not one of the biggest Looney Tunes stars, but he is yeah. big enough that you know him, right? And yeah. in that context, I think it's kind of weird that his uh, Tiny Toons equivalent only had like two or three episodes ever.
0: No, Loudmouth.
1: Yeah. Foul mouth. Foul Foulmouth.
0: Foulmouth. That's his name. Yeah. Foulmouth. Yeah. Foulmouth. Yeah. Yeah. You know he what? swears. Yeah. Dad gum. Uh, yeah. Actually, Foghorn himself appears a lot. So maybe you don't need an equivalent as much. Ah, you know what? That's true. Yeah. He's like their go to professor.
1: Yeah. Good point. Mm. Yeah. I like Foghorn. I like I like those little chicks. I like the way they look. I like I love the he, weasel's mannerisms. I love that weasel at the start. He's a terrible rooster. <laughs> yes. He's he's just awful. <laughs> his
0: his whole he's 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 endangering <laughs> the chicks <laughs> yes. for the sake of uh running this dog around.
1: Well, I mean <laughs> As a rooster, his job is to make more chicks, so maybe he's just uh, ensuring his own employment.
0: Well, that's the other thing I think is funny is that he's bad at it, though. Bad at wooing hens.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, true.
1: (laughs) Maybe he's just too
0: big. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. I guess it's personality, mostly. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, you were saying that uh, Foghorn is kind of well-known. (laughs) i give you something that is not that well known these days
1: not really no uh little audrey is a novel tunes whatever it's Mm. um (laughs) it's from paramount uh so there's a weird backstory here which is there's a a comic strip girl named little lulu who i think still exists today uh, mm. And Little Lulu was translated into some cartoons in the early days of cartoons. And eventually, Paramount ran to the end of their license and they decided they didn't want to renew it. So they made their own little girl, Little Audrey. Mm. Uh, little Audrey is kind of based on a series of jokes where... Well, I, I don't know so much about this Little Audrey, but it, there is a an old-timey series of jokes where something tragic would happen that little audrey right. knows about and the punchline is that she just you know something happens and little audrey just laughs and laughs because she knows that something tragic was about it or whatever oh yeah and they're dark yes like the the one the one that i like
0: is one where little audrey's playing with matches mm. and then her mom tells her don't play with those matches but she keeps on doing it anyway and burns the house down and <laughs> so the mom then says Oh, wait till your father gets home. And she just laughs and laughs because she knows that father came home early and took a nap.
1: Yeah, that's (laughs) that's a that's a little Audrey joke right there. Yeah. But this little Audrey is nothing like that. Although she not not in this episode, not in this one. She does end this cartoon by laughing and laughing. Yeah, it's her signature. And I did notice that she actually takes a breath. So there's like two separate sets of laughing, which, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm skipping to the end. We'll get to that. Yeah. So Tarts and Flowers is the deal here. And uh, it opens with the radio show of a chef who, I guess this show gives instructions to the house women who are home while their husbands are at work, uh, telling them how to cook tasty treats. In this case, gingerbread. And I was on board with the recipe... Because, you know, it's a scene of her like, you know, add flour and milk or whatever. And and it's the thing where the radio can respond, where she takes a big handful of flour and the sh- the radio's like, hey, not so much. Yeah. Um, I was on board until it got to the end bit where it just rapid fires a whole bunch of ingredients that mm-hmm. are like mustard and cider and vinegar and things that she has already added. And I'm like, that sounds like gross gingerbread. You know, what's weird. Mm. I was, I was Googling Audrey gifs,
0: her, her preparing this gingerbread man, a surprising (laughs) number of uh, gifs have been adapted from that (laughs) for just dumping stuff in. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so anyway, yeah, she whips up this batter, you know, there's the typical jokes about beat it. And then she goes away. It's like, oh no, not you or whatever. But Mm. anyway, she starts baking the gingerbread and she's tired from her, I guess, beating. (laughs) <laughs> that that did not sound right. <laughs> Hold on. Wait, no. Her,
0: her nanny's not even in this cartoon.
1: <laughs> she's tired from beating the batter. Yeah. And she's got 30 minutes to wait for this thing to bake. And so she yawns and sits there. And this is the secret transition point to a dream sequence. Which we're, well, we aren't alerted to it yet, but uh, we know something's up when the timer goes off. And from the oven, just like the old uh, nursery rhyme or whatever it was, springs the gingerbread man. But he's got to go because he's got a hot date with uh, Miss Angel Cake. And of course, Audrey's running after him because she wants to eat the gingerbread that she worked so hard to make, I assume. Um, But the gingerbread man creates a cloud of flour, which she runs through and ends up in a baked goods. Wonderland cake land specifically. And it's time for the wedding. There's a nice musical number here. I actually really like, there's two songs in this. There's an opening, like, Little Audrey oh, jingle. Yeah. And then the, through this whole sequence, there's a song about um, the uh, the gingerbread man taking a wife. Mm. And I really like both of these songs. They got cool lyrics. I, yeah, I, I, think, I like
0: her signature song about how unwise she is.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good lyrics in a throwaway song, in a throwaway cartoon can go a long way. It shows that they actually <laughs> put some effort into it. Mm. And and I really like the lyrics of this song about how he's, uh, I don't know, puns about various kinds of cakes and things, but like, it's just, it just has a good rhythm to it. Okay. So as you might expect from one of these cartoons where inanimate objects have come to life, it all ends up with the girl in this movie, fu- in this case, Ms. Angel Cake, being abducted at the wedding by a devil food cake. Hmm. And there's a... uh, Audrey, who is (laughs) just, you know, it's a dream sequence, and so she has just ingratiated herself into this uh, baked goods culture quite easily. (laughs) And she's the one who sounds the alarm for the cop cakes, which is a surprisingly good pun for 1950. Hmm. Um... And they, they and then the and they and the uh, gingerbread man climb onto some animal crackers and go chasing after the devil food cake, who uh, gra- climbs into a. I guess it's a gravy boat. Yeah, a on a yeah, yeah on a on a milk river. Uh, Audrey gets the clever idea to use an egg beater to whisk up the milk. I guess into thick cream. Yeah. Which uh, stops the. Um, the boat, obviously, because the cream is so thick and this allows the gingerbread man to run across and rescue, well, pound the food cake. Oh, I'm getting my cakes mixed up here. <laughs> pound the devil's food cake so yeah. that the cops in true cartoon cop fashion can beat him with their batons, just like yes. potatoes. Yes, more, more food
0: cops with their billy clubs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And throw them in the paddy wagon or pie wagon in this case. Yeah. And so the wedding is saved. The gingerbread man and the angel food cake are married just in time for the actual timer on the actual oven to go off and wake up Audrey, who does a number of double takes into the pan to see that the <laughs> the gingerbread that she's prepared has baked into a gingerbread man, an angel food cake, and a little gingerbread boy and a little angel food girl. At which point she laughs and laughs. And that's yeah. the end.
0: <laughs> Isn't reality weird? Yeah. You know, I, I'm a little bummed out by how lazy the angel cake design is. Yeah. That she's just a woman upper half coming out of a cake.
1: Yes, eh. agreed. I agreed. I agree with that. Um, mm. I'm... You know, I, not too long ago on my own, I watched a cartoon. I can't remember the name of it now, but it was a... It was an old cartoon that it was... It was another one of those inanimate objects coming to life at night thing. Right. Uh, in this case, books, where there's various books all having a party and eventually somebody steals some woman and then the police (laughs) have to, it always comes down to that in these, it always comes down to whenever you have inanimate objects coming to life, it always comes down to some villain stealing some girl. And there's a cavalry that goes and rescues her. Right. And I don't know. Knowing that this cartoon felt kind of formulaic to me. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like little Audrey's design. Like, I like the way she looks. She's cute with her three pigtails and, you know. um, Even her, like,
0: her her structure,
1: I think, looks
0: semi-modern.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Her eyes are a little, like, weirdly placed on her head as it moves around in three dimensions, I thought. Okay. Uh, Just a little bit. You know, there's certain angles where she looks at something and it kind of seems, it's just a weird... Creates a weird expression on her face, but you know, whatever. I'm, I'm nitpicking here.
0: Yeah, you know, um, this is not like this is not maybe the best little Audrey cartoon for exhibiting her personality since mm-hmm. she's a bit of a passenger. She very um, much is, yeah. Uh, but I kind of picked it for uh, an allusion to Cuphead. Oh, yeah, because there's a cake landing Cuphead, right? So. That's right, there is, yeah. Um, She's sort of like Hello Kitty in a way, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, like, Hello Kitty plots are... It's just like a vehicle for a girl who gets herself in trouble. Or, alternately, that she becomes a part of a fairy tale in a dream sequence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty typical. Right. You know, that, that happens in cartoons like this a lot. Especially, like I said, the cartoons about inanimate objects coming to life. It's kind of... It's almost like the default. It's like, we need a cartoon. Uh, how about a thing where things that shouldn't be alive are alive? And then it just kind of naturally devolves into they're having a party, which is interrupted <laughs> by a villain who steals a woman and then a cavalry goes and chases her. And then we have a happy ending. Right. <laughs> and it's just so happens that this one also has little Audrey in it.
0: Uh, maybe that'll be our sketch comedy routine as uh, <laughs> carto- car- cartoon writers back in the day. We need, like, uh, an animal object that comes to life. A clock face? It's been done!
1: (laughs) Yeah. I
0: don't know, trumpets,
1: violins, uh, keep going, keep going. Hmm. Um, What's a modern, I mean, Animaniacs did that in a video store with VHS cassettes. Oh, right, like
0: an homage to your uh, book uh, cartoon.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or I, I know there was another cartoon about paintings, too. Um, hmm. maybe more than one, actually, because I seem to have a memory of Whistler's mother whistling a lot.
0: Oh, you are you still talking? Well, you're talking about Tiny Toons, where Babs is singing Squash and Stretch,
1: that one? No, no, but I mean, possible. Well, Like I said, I feel like I see a lot of Whistler's mother. So there's it could be in that it could be. Yeah. I, I probably couldn't list all the cartoons that have Whistler's mother whistling well like, that's a future episode i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay there's our theme whistler's mother <laughs> speaking of whistling uh right. and how about some music musical interlude right right right
0: uh we're looking at dixieland droopy mm. this is directed by tex avery Woo! in 1954 yeah tex, tex avery
1: tex avery created droopy and just like we said earlier all droopy cartoons are directed by tex avery I did not know
0: that, actually. Okay. There you go. Um, so, Droopy, he's the second uh, cartoon Basset Hound I'm going to be talking about today. <laughs> yeah, funny coincidence. Yeah. Um, he's a hero whose low energy and monotone delivery contrasts his adversaries and the situations he gets into. And typically, he flum- flummoxes his foes with his savoir-faire and seeming ability to always be one step ahead of them. Or just everywhere. Yes. Now throw that description out because funny yeah. enough, <laughs> like we talked about the Tex every cartoon magical maestro mm. and how Butch the Irish dog was playing against this type as an opera singer, singer, the great Puccini. Mm. Droopy is not much like his usual self in this cartoon as John Pettibone.
1: Yeah, if I wanted to demonstrate a droopy cartoon, because remember, as I said last week, I specifically went out of my way to pick two cartoon characters that we hadn't covered yet. Yeah. And I did a pretty bad job picking a... (laughs) um, Archetypal uh, droopy. Yes, archetypal is the word I was looking for there.
0: Thank you. And he's even drawn quite a bit off model in this cartoon. He moves um, around like a dog quite a bit. Yeah, that's... heck... Even just moving around is anti-Droopy. Yeah, true. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, so this cartoon. The narrator sets us up for a tale about how John Pettibone's love of Dixieland music, a traditional high-energy jazz, will take the dog from living in the city dump to performing at the Hollywood Bowl. And, you know, I only get it now that such music contrasts against the essence of Droopy's personality. Hmm. Um, So... John Pettibone lives in a shack in the dump and his greatest pleasure is pretending to conduct the music coming from his gramophone. The garbage dump landlord, I guess doesn't care for the, doesn't care for the noise. So he throws John and his vinyl disc out. And now this homeless dog looks for venues to play his precious record, but the unwanted noise gets him thrown out each time. He tries the jukebox at a cafe, an ice cream truck, a street performer's organ grinder. And now, as a note, as a kid, I really thought performing monkeys with a man turning a musical hurdy-gurdy yeah. were a thing. Yeah. Like, I had fantasies about this, you know, <laughs> about encountering it or or storylines that involve monkeys and hurdy-gurdies.
1: Yeah, um, really. It's a lot of uh, things. It's like... It's like how uh, people will often say, well, at least I've heard it more than once that like, man, cartoons made me think that quicksand was going to be a much bigger problem in my life.
0: Yes. And, and, and uh, monkey street musicians are going to be a bigger thing. Anyway, on, on the last occasion of him trying to play his record, he gets thrown out of a merry-go-round carousel and afterward, John trips over the rope of a carnival tent and accidentally breaks his record. But remarkably, he hears the very same music anyway. A nearby tent has a band of fleas that play Dixieland jive as an attraction. At the narrator's suggestion, Droopy runs in and abducts the fleas. See, they're more than willing to occupy a dog's rump. Mm. The owner of the band rightly chases John Pettibone. Uh, John runs through an ever-shrinking, far-too-small series of pipes, then in and out of a butcher shop, and the butcher lops off his tail and skims off some of his fur, too, but by the power of cartoons, the p- the band plays his jumping, dismembered section right back onto his butt.
1: I like the way it slithers over, like, the contour of the guy's nose and everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: That's the story for that butcher. I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so man! the circus man resumes the chase and the tempo dips slower when John struggles through pavement tar or, and also later when he's fatigued, mm-hmm. the, the fleas take a little cigarette break at human sized cigarette butts on the street. Then the chase resumes and John takes refuge inside a talent agency. Though the sign forsakes dog acts, when the agent gets ready to throw him out, his countdown prompts the fleas to perform, and he loves the act of a dog who plays jazz, seemingly without a band. It's a running gag in this cartoon where uh, the louts that give John the count of three to get out do it like a one and a two, and, and it triggers the band. Yeah. Um, anyway... John is an overnight success performing at the Hollywood Bowl, just as promised at the beginning. The narrator lets us know that nobody ever solved the mystery of John Pettibone's music, and also he lets us know that he, that Flea, has all the time been the band's star trumpeter, Pee Wee Runt. Hmm. It's kind of wacky to me that the Fleas prefer their new situation. Of getting no credit for their music?
1: Well, maybe, hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Well, what would they have got? Let's see. Let's break this down way too much. There's
0: a sign. There's a sign outside that
1: says Pee Wee Run, right? Yeah. Like, they get credit. But what do fleas actually want? They want to... Uh, I I guess blood. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They, They, you know, they're circus animals. They probably live in a little um, glass box of some kind. Right. Getting fed, like, subpar food that they don't like. Now, they get to hang out on a dog with all the dog blood they can drink. And play the music that they love to play.
0: Maybe at some point, John Pettibone will write his memoirs and give them credit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, you know that um, in the past... I've said of some of these short cartoons that they're a little shallow, right? Uh That they're, they're not as long as I remember them, right? They're just kind of like a setup. This is chasing that. There's a series of three or four gags that's done. Mm -hmm. And this one is a fairly narratively dense cartoon, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That we start at the beginning of him getting kicked out and then trying to find places to play his record and then getting the flea, uh, the flea band and getting chased. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this thing.
1: Yeah, you know, when we first watched that magical maestro, I said that Tex Avery was just a madman. But yeah, but here, this yeah, cartoon narrative. is so well crafted. Something that I noticed in this cartoon early on that I don't, I don't know that I would have been sophisticated enough as a kid to notice it, but once mm-hmm. I realized it, I couldn't unsee it. Mm-hmm. There's no music in this cartoon unless the Dixieland is playing. Like it's dead silence except for that. And and that's really weird in a cartoon where everything is usually punctuated by some kind of horn or drum or whatever. Mm. And just have everything completely silent unless there's music playing. What an interesting choice for like the director must have had to sell that like Tex Avery. Like, must have made that decision and, you know, because they're ready to make these cartoons the way they always do. And he he would have to have told people, like, we're not going to do any music in this. There's no stings when pratfalls happen. Nothing. There's only going to be the Dixieland music.
0: I wonder, because Tex Avery was a big star, right? Like he he went in and elevated Termite Terrace and at this point had, you know, left there to go work at MGM. Well, that's true. Maybe the, maybe he just gets to do whatever he wants.
1: Yeah, but it's still, like, that would have been such an interesting thing to hear the director say. You know, like, um, I'm fairly sure. I'd have to look it up, but I'm fairly sure that this got nominated for an Academy Award. Right. And it's just so sophisticated in, like, the way that it's structured narratively and the way that it's pulled off. Like, mm. it's not like a typical cartoon in a lot of ways. It's not as manic as most Tex Avery things, but it's also doesn't follow a lot of the formulas that a lot of other cartoons in this era did.
0: Yeah, it's still got his signatures, though. His funny faces, his funny hands, you know, people Mm -hmm. with their hands up in the air waving them about or like uh, people that jump up and vibrate
1: in shock. Yeah, I noticed when he gets into the ice cream truck. Yeah, I was watching the wheels because they kind of roll... Like, they're sort of not perfect circles, and they roll in weird ways. Mm. But as I was watching them, maybe this is my ADD that I just fixated on something I shouldn't have. But I noticed that in addition to rolling weird, they were also moving back and forth, almost like an animal's paws crawling. Right. Okay. At least when it was moving slowly. And, you know, then he...
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like they're loose or something.
1: Yeah. And then he jumps in with his record, and the thing just goes crazy, but... Yeah, I guess the craziness of Tex Avery has extra weight when everything is calm otherwise.
0: You know, what's weird, I think, is that uh, as beloved a director as he is, I don't think many people really emulate his style that closely. No, probably not. I mean, remember the mask? Like, there was a big hullabaloo about that, but that's like a really small section of his, like, I don't think they really capture the nuances yeah. To 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 give someone bug eyes, you know, they go like "Ooga" oh, and saying that's Tex Avery, kind of <laughs> hmm, hmm. misses the point, right? But yeah. If like I was saying about directors that contrast against Robert McKimson, Tex Avery strongly contrasts against <laughs> Robert McKimson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, pretty good series of directors here. Why don't we talk? Go from um, Tex Avery to Dave Fleischer.
1: Dave Fleischer. Yeah, we got Betty Boop and Grampy. And we know I like my Grampy. Mm. This is 1935. So old, it's still black and white. Uh, Betty Boop, she still shows up now in various places. But basically, she was a sexy poodle in this one cartoon. Mm. And then she was so popular that they eventually turned her into a human. So that, you know... In an era before furries were understood, people could uh, feel unguilty about lusting after her.
0: Well, she looks better with no ears than those flap ears anyway. Well,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, like I said, uh, te- uh, Tex Avery. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> Betty Boop and Grampy. And basically it starts out with Betty just kind of dusting and stuff until uh, there's a knock on the door and a a delivery guy gives her an invitation from Grampy. He's having a party and he wants her to bring the gang. So she walks along singing a happy song about how awesome Grampy's parties are. And along the way, some guys lifting a piano, uh, you know, are (laughs) their eyes are drawn to her walking along. And, and when they find out that there's a party at Grampy's house, they are all the way on board and they come along and they pass by a fireman rescuing a lady. And he's on board, too, to the point that he even ditches the lady that he just rescued by shoving her butt in the ladder. <laughs> so presumably she burned when the building burned down. Yeah. Uh, they go through an intersection and there's a traffic cop there and he's on he's on board, too. He oh, a grampy party ain't no party like a grampy party because a <laughs> grampy party don't stop. Uh, (laughs) despite the fact that the parties of all the cars that he ignores stop when they crash into each other. (laughs) (laughs) You
0: know what? This is like, this is a surprisingly dark start to this old cartoon. A little bit. It's like, yeah. And I like how farcical it is, you know, like, uh, uh, where, where are you going? Grampy's house. (laughs) It's just like, drop (laughs) the piano, put the woman
1: back toward the burning building. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We gotta see Grampy. Yeah. And they do eventually get to Grampy's house, which is, (laughs) it's a ridiculous gag here. Like, I don't even know what to compare it to. I've never seen anything like this. (laughs) Grampy's door is literally, it's just a door in front of nothing. (laughs) And when they ring the bell, the, the buzz of the bell goes up a pole and along a wire to a house some distance away. And... Inside the it turns out that the bell is attached to one of those cartoon cuckoo. Well, I say clock, but it doesn't have any hands. Hmm. And instead, it's just a thing with a hand that comes out and taps him awake and then punches him awake, (laughs) which makes him realize that Betty and her friends must be there. Betty and the gang, I guess. Hmm. And he goes over and with his cane and uses the cane as a lever in a device that causes the whole house (laughs) to lift up and i i think it has little feet it's kind of hard to tell but it like Mm. it won't it it goes up to the door frame at the outside so that the door can open and let everybody in and then it crawls back to where it was Mm. it's bizarre yeah but you know i like that kind of weird gag that you never see anywhere else Mm -hmm. inside grampy shakes hands with betty and all the folks Um, and then the last folk discovers that, uh, they were actually shaking hands with a, I guess a hand shaking device, just a, a, a hand sticking out of the wall that shakes that Grampy happened to be standing near. Hmm. Cause remember Grampy, we talked about him earlier in a Christmas episode. He's an inventor and that's kind of what this cartoon is. It's a showcase for all the wacky ways that he has to do, um, mundane tasks without actually having the equipment to do those tasks, or in this case, having prepared the equipment. Because uh, he's
0: like, he's kind of like Mr. Bean, I guess. And that he uses weird things. You know what? That's not their purpose. That's,
1: that's not a inaccurate statement. Yeah. Yeah. So for example, he serves his guests punch by lowering the chandelier, which is actually a punch bowl and the, um, What's the word? The uh, the shades on the little light bulbs in the chandelier are the cups. Then he uses an umbrella without the uh, canopy part where it's just the, the wire frame, right? And he uses that to cut a cake, a big cake into equal pieces, which he then demands that Betty serve, which she does. And this is one of those Max Fleischer old cartoons where most of the time the voice doesn't really match up with the the oh, animation. There's, there's no animation. There's no lip the Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So she's like, oh, I sure will. And, and mm. she serves exactly one person a piece of cake and then decides that they need some music. But uh, Grampy did not prepare for music. So <laughs> he's got to put on his patented thinking cap. And as usual, almost get an idea, but not quite until the light bulb comes on and then his patented wiggly foot grampy walk (laughs) into the kitchen where he (laughs) he dangerously destroys the gas pipe on his stove uh, so that he can stick it in the nozzle of a kettle to make a makeshift flute, which doesn't really flute until he ties a couple of gloves to a fan so that those glove fingers can start playing a song. Um, this is a, oh, what was this song? I think it's called The Tiger Rag, uh, yeah. commonly known hold that as tiger. Hold That Tiger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this. So there have been a couple of times now where there's been a song that's kind of been in my head from some source, either known or unknown. And I mm. didn't like this particular song. I remember from an Esso gas commercial because they're right for a while. Their mascot was a tiger. And so it was like, hold that tiger. And right. Right. And I, I knew that song from that commercial and I just thought it was made for that commercial. And so when this same song pops up in a cartoon from 70 or 80 years previous, Mm. it kind of blew my mind a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, he also uh, connects a, (laughs) <laughs> he he connects a boot to the pendulum of an actual clock so that it can uh, stomp on the uh, lever on a trash can so the lid can produce some produ- uh, percussion. Mm. And everybody has a good time dancing. And they just kind of dance for a while.
0: <laughs> with, some, um, with some
1: capering. Yeah, there's you some capering. Like- kicking in the butt and batoning on the head and so Yes, on. yeah, yeah. There's a, the big piano guy kicks the little piano guy in the butt and the policeman, who's holding a baton, despite the fact that he was a traffic cop, uh, <laughs> smashes the um, the fireman on the head. Luckily, the fireman is wearing a helmet, but then he takes it off and gets a lump on the head, but still just laughs it off. Uh, oh, they're just having <laughs> fun. Uh, Grampy dances with Betty, but eventually they start to get tired. And Betty's dizzy from dancing. And so Grampy's next trick is to just kick various chairs right under the falling butts of his exhausted guests. <laughs> so that he can finish off with his own wiggly foot dance. And, uh, yeah. Oh, he, and there's one last gag where there's a, a clock that he push kicks a button on to make the a hand on the clock use the face as a fan it, 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 Grampy does so many weird things. <laughs> <that> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is basically, that's the end. And it's mm. basically just a showcase for Grampy's weird inventions, as I guess all Grampy cartoons are. But there's no conflict in the story. I'm here for it, though. But man, yeah, the way that he, <laughs> I can, I, oh, the, um, I forgot to mention, the, the fireman had the same wiggly like, feet going everywhere walk when he's going up the ladder. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Oh, it was tremendous. it's tremendous. I can't believe I forgot know, it, because it was, like, the first thing I noticed in this cartoon was, like, oh, that walk is hilarious. It's so weird
0: <laughs> how how uh, modern parts of this cartoon feel. Kind of. Like, modern sensibilities for, you know, crazy animators and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and comedy writers, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really... I kind of, I gave you this for different, different aspects, but both of them to kind of relate to the Cuphead show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, cause this is like, this doesn't, this doesn't really have a lot of gags per se. It's more like hmm. you get your amusement from seeing the, the wacky, um, improvised inventions that Grampy has produced. Yeah. But like just the way that he moves around and like it's, it's just one of those cartoons where you think of sometimes you got to think that these cartoons were were just generic entertainment. Right. Like you go into a movie theater in 1935 when movies are are barely a thing and mm. you'd be impressed by anything. Like, <laughs> yeah. I remember there was a. I have. I have the Onion book, Our Dumb Century. Yeah, which is the concept. The Onion is a a, a fake newspaper, and the concept of this book is that it's issues of the Onion from 1900 up to 2000. And right. this, this was published in like 1999, I think. So 2000, 2000 hadn't actually happened yet. Um, and I remember one of the early. Uh, 1900s had a movie review and Mm-mm. the headline was something like um, man turning cartwheel a tired retread of man turning somersault <laughs> <laughs> yeah or I think there was another one where there was complaining about its interminable 15 minute run time <laughs> <laughs> I was um I there's there's a
0: podcast I like called The Weekly Planet.
1: Uh-huh, yeah. Where
0: they, they talk movies and TV shows and comics. Anyway, they, um, uh, I was li- just listening to some old ones where there was one where they're talking about, uh, oh shoot, um, what is it? Not the ma- Majestic, uh, dang, 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 uh, Hugh Jackman and-, and um, The Prestige? The Prestige, yes, The Prestige. Um, they were talking about the pure innocence of an era- where people could have like the curtain draw and there'd just be a big machine on stage and they would give it big
1: applause. <laughs> you <know>? yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a machine.
0: Well, look at that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So like, that's kind of the context that I think about in these cartoons sometimes. When, I, when I'm watching an old cartoon and it's just like skeletons dancing for seven minutes. Like... Yeah. You didn't have a lot of expectations at that time. It's just entertainment. It was just, you know... This is how you entertain yourself. They didn't know yet that it was possible to have, like, prolonged stories and, like, zany pratfalls. And <laughs> But at the same time, like, it's still a funny cartoon. Like, they were experimenting. They were figuring out how to make funny gags at this point. And mm. in a lot of ways, they succeeded, you know? Like, they had the germ of it. Like, just the way that Grampy waps his feet all over the place. <laughs> yes. Um, or things like the, the clock, like first it taps him a few times. And when that doesn't work, it comes out and punches him in the face a bunch. Like hmm. the, the the root of, of of cartoon comedy. We're seeing it evolve in real time here. Yeah, except, you know,
0: I, I like being subverted, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's some. it's weird to say, like, there's no impact to someone getting hit on the head when you are used to it. Right. Right. But when something really weird happens, like a house travels up to the doorframe, oh, yeah. you know, it's just like, it shocks you into being that
1: kind of laughing. It's like, right? I, said, so. it's, it's like I said, it's evolution where right. some things just didn't survive. And, mm. but it, it, I don't know. I, I love, I like Grampy. I like the way he moves. I like the way he thinks. And, you know, some of the stuff that he does is just kind of, oh, ha He used an umbrella to cut a cake. But then you have stuff like that house. And it's like, well, man, that's crazy.
0: I think not every gag's got to be like, I laughed out loud. Exactly. But, you know, like I, I cupped my chin and nodded. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> now, it's kind of funny. Uh, at work, I've um, made my desktop into a picture uh, from another Grampy cartoon of Grampy, uh, Betty, and her nephew Junior all thinking <laughs> in that position, right? And it's remarkable to me, people I wouldn't have expected that have come by and recognized it, like, oh yeah. And they know about the <laughs> his his mortarboard with the light bulb that goes when he comes up with yeah, an yeah, idea. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: It's been kind <laughs> of fun. <laughs> the, That's cool. The odd uh, yeah the odd recognition. Um, another thing about this cartoon uh, directed by Dave Fleischer. Mm-hmm. He just impresses the heck out of me. He directed a lot of those Superman cartoons as well. Mm-hmm. Like, what range he
1: has as an animator. Mm. Yeah, no, it's... I don't like Betty Boop very much, but but also oh, yeah. very much like like Little Audrey, she's ve- she's a passenger here. Like, it's not about Betty. She is one of, what, six characters? Yeah. Um. By, and by the Grampy way, also... Is, uh, hmm
0: yeah. Also, like, uh, Little Audrey voiced by Mae Questel. Cust-
1: uh, oh, yeah. It's true, mm. yeah.
0: I think you should give Betty Boop a chance. Like, we went through a period where we were watching classic cartoons before bed. Mm. We, we watched quite a few Betty Boop-, Boop cartoons, and they're better than you think, because in the modern era, Betty Boop is just, like, a marketing brand. Yes. And... She's got this strange sort of um strange sort of niche that women are hot for her for some reason, <laughs> so they get tattoos and they have her on dresses and shirts and the like right but uh the classic Betty Boop cartoons
1: they're pretty fun, actually, I believe it because I think that's mm. the thing like your exposure to Betty Boop now is just to see her in a picture winking or in a sculpture or something like basically just looking sexy. But yeah, as a- <laughs> you know, when you consider how funny most of these Max Fleischer cartoons are. Yeah. I don't think it's a stretch to assume that a Betty Boop cartoon would be equally funny.
0: Yeah. Like we're watching this one and right away we get that like fond feeling when we see her weird high stepping
1: walk. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I noticed that right away. I was like, Oh, that's st- a strange way of moving around. But but yeah, like yeah. you're right. Like I probably do give Betty Boop short shrift just because of how she's used now. When yeah. in the context of when she was, you know, in cartoons. She's probably pretty great. Yeah. I understand Betty Boop. Okay, so
0: maybe we'll go the other direction now. Mm. Thinking about next week. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about cartoons that get a little more questionable the more you get to know them. (laughs) Um, We've done this theme before on the show. Uh, It was called, Why Does This Exist? Now, a cartoon might be weird of concept. It might be ill-conceived or make you wonder if it has any audience. Or it may just be um, wrong on the technical merits. Mm. But just broadly, it makes you ask,
1: Why does this exist? Now, just for some context, the previous one, uh, you gave me Alf Tales. And, yes. And then you correctly predicted that I would give you Rude Dog and the Dweebs.
0: Okay, yeah. yeah. So I that's... have no inclination this time, but but. Well. likewise, you're not going to guess mine. Okay. Okay. For you, Matsy. <gasps> now, this this could be lost media, but I found it on the internet archive, so I'll give you the link in a bit. Okay. Um, This is... Laverne and Shirley with the Fawns and the episode is One Million Laughs BC.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I kind of uh, I don't know if I either recognized from seeing it previously or was just not surprised to know that there was a Laverne and Shirley and the Fawns cartoon. Okay. But then when you gave me the title of that episode, that's where I kind (laughs) of lost it. (laughs) Okay. All right. That sounds like fun. Okay. Um, well, if you want cartoons that baffle science, (laughs) I hope I've got one for you. Um, remember how we watched two episodes, actually more than two episodes of Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling? Yeah. Well... That wasn't the only attempt that, uh, the WWE made to market themselves as a cartoon. I want you to watch an episode of Camp WWE. Okay. Specifically, the episode is called Not Without My Eyebrow. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> This'll be fun. Yeah. How, how can any of you miss this next episode? Come on. Um... We got Shirley, Laverne, and Shirley, and the Fawns, and the hottest superstars of WWE. <laughs> right, so look forward to that. In the meanwhile,
0: <laughs> let us know what you think of the show. Uh, tell us what to watch. Give us things to discuss.
1: I'm at drapswatch on Twitter. Yeah, tell everybody to g- listen. If tell them that this next episode is going to have the things that I just mentioned, like the Fawns is going to be in it. WWE And this episode had Grampy. Yeah, no
0: French movies. We're taking a break.
1: Yeah, yeah, for now. I'm trying to think. There is a French-Canadian wrestler who makes a cameo in that episode of WWE. Anyway, I'm at AC Matsey. Now, um, I don't know. Celery stalker slogan?
0: Nah, I'll beat it. better.